This is Quit, a podcast about change, the challenges of improving your career, making tough decisions, starting something awesome, and maybe even kicking your corporate stooge job to the curb in the process. Welcome to the show. My name is Dan Benjamin. I'm joined, as always, here in the uh, Austin, Texas headquarters by Heidi Cook. Heidi, welcome. welcome to the show. Oh, hi. I've just uh, been out in the snow. Yeah, you know, isn't that weird? We got snow here. <laughs> it is December... We got like two inches apparently in Zilker Park. Really? Isn't that crazy? Two whole inches. <laughs> uh, all the schools were canceled and uh, businesses started late and everything else. I love Austin. Yeah, my kids uh, got uh, their school was completely canceled today um, because of the almost two inches of snow, maybe less. And, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. It would take feet of snow before they would even consider canceling school. Right. Feet of snow. You know, and if it, if it was like snowing, a hard freeze, you know, no, that wouldn't stop it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if if I remember, you know, they have. I mean, they're but they're they're they know how to handle this. They're there at the early early hours, four, three, four, five in the morning, with the snow plows, plowing the snow, icing the roads. It's just that's just normal stuff for them, starting in like November, maybe even earlier some years. You know, where they're that's just normal for them. Oh, it snowed. How much snow? Okay, we're sending out the trucks. And then you'd, by the time you'd get on the, the road in the morning, you know, my mom uh, would be leaving to go to work and the bus would be coming to get me uh, at, the, at the bus stop. And yeah, all the snow would be off, the sides of the, off to the sides of the road. No big deal. But here, so apparently we got a call last night at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night from the Austin schools saying, uh, we're worried about black ice. And uh, mm-hmm. so instead of delaying school for two hours, we're just canceling it altogether because <laughs> it snowed it's a just, little bit. You know, easier. My kids woke <laughs> up. And they're like, "We're hey kids, there's no school." They're like, "Yay, this is the best thing in the world!" And they're outside, you know, trying to make snowballs out of the I saw some, uh, little bit of snow. Some pictures of uh, some snowmen online from different people around Austin. Like they they had some like some good tall ones. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess where we were, we didn't get. I don't think we got as much. I think inch. it was mainly in the southern part of yeah. Austin and then like south of Austin. Right. So Anyways. Dallas didn't get any. And my sister was very sad. Well, it's very weird for us to get snow here and for it, if when we do get the snow, for it to actually stick. Now, Hattie, um, toward the end of last month, you and I went on a business trip to uh, New York City. Yes. And then after visiting New York City, we went further north uh, in New York State to upstate New York. And uh, and visited one of our the agencies that we work with there, and we got some snow while we were there too. But that was a real snow, and that stuck right away. Oh, and, and it was like whipping around. Yeah. it was crazy. So it is that time of year, I guess, where snow, snow can happen. happens. And uh, and so such is life here in Austin. Never know what to expect. Now, does this mean that global warming is real, or does it mean it's not real? <laughs> Like, are, is, uh, I don't are, think is you it, can base it on one snow. But, but is it snowing here in Austin where it's supposed to be warm in the winter because of global warming or does it disprove global? I think it's either way is true. Both are true. Just everything's true. Yes. So we have a whole bunch of uh, interesting topics today. I want to start with the one that uh, Hattie submitted to me. Oh, yeah. I think you'll I think you liked this one. It reminded me of of you should and I, your story. Should I briefly retell my yes, story? Yes, give like the TLDR version. Okay, TLDR version of my story is when I was in, early on in grade school, 
I used to wait at a bus stop, and very close to the bus stop was a Texaco station that actually I, is still there. It has been remodeled, but it's still there Aww. in the same place. So just when I took my son to visit Florida uh, a few months ago, we drove by it, and it was indeed still there. And so was the Publix that I used to work at. Everything's still there, remodeled, but still there. And I used to go to this Texaco station, and I remember one time I bought a dollar's worth of Jolly Rancher candies. And these candies were the kind that, I don't know if they still make them, but they were flat and they were a few inches long, maybe um, four inches long, flat candies. So they weren't quite Did lollipops. They like a like a like an airhead, like more like an airhead? I don't know what that is. Those, It's like a flat, almost kind of taffy I guess kind of, kind of like that. Okay. Uh, but they were hard sugar candy and they were like, they like Jolly shatter? Rancher watermelon. Yeah, they would shatter. You oh, could shatter. Okay, them. so they're not, uh, not stretchy, chewy. truly, okay, not at it. all. Got it. And, um, and so I bought a bunch of these things. I probably spent the whole dollar and I got 10 of them because they were 10 cents. And I took them to school and I had one. And somebody said, Hey, can I have one? And this was not a friend of mine. And I said, no, but you can buy one. And he said, how much? I said, a quarter. And he gave me a quarter. And he had his candy. And they didn't sell these candies in the school. They did sell some candy in the school, but it sucked. And then somebody else said, hey, can I buy one? I said, of course you can. And I sold the rest of them. And so I, you know, I, I, I made a little bit of profit. I was buying them for 10 cents. I was selling them for 25 cents. So I took my profits, all of my profits, and bought all kinds of Jolly Rancher candies, lots of different flavors. And I was just doing the Jolly Rancher candy thing. And I was doing this for a few days. Every day I'd go and I'd buy some, I'd bring them in and every day I would sell out. And somehow the, uh, the teachers got wind of this and sent me to the principal, sat me down in front of the principal and the principal said, you can't do this. I said, why? And they said, well, it's, it's not allowed. I said, well, why is it not allowed? Is it not allowed? Is there a rule or something? He said, well, it's just not allowed. You just can't do it. Instead of signing you up for like advanced business classes or anything. Right. Or instead (laughs) of saying, you know what? This is really a good idea, kid. Right. But you can't do it at school, but we're going to give you like an award or, you know what? You can enter, enter into this little business competition right. or something you know i don't know i did have a class that had a little bit of like business skill stuff uh-huh. and one of the projects that they had in it was investing in the stock market so they explained how the stock market worked they said uh and and you're going to be buying stocks and i said whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute what do you mean we're going to be buying stocks like yeah you're going to actually pick stocks and you're going to like buy and this is before hattie this is before the dawn of computers you see back in the, uh, in the old yes. days and the way that we uh got stocks was in the newspaper the newspaper Aww. printed stock values at that so we would look at the value of the stock and we'd say okay i'm going to buy some of this and some of this and you'd write it down and the next day you'd see if it went up or down and you'd write it down but i remember in the beginning i, I said to the teacher i'm like are we actually buying the right. stocks? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're buying the stocks. I'm like, wait a minute. We're buying and we're really buying them. She's like, well, not real money. I'm like, well, what's the point? Then? Right. Then we're not really buying them. Well, here's somebody who, and this is, this was, you said this is a Tumblr, not a tweet. It, yes. I think I came from Tumblr. This is in the show notes. If you want to see what I'm about to talk about, it's at five by five dot TV slash quit slash one one seven. 
And this is apparently a Tumblr post, and who knows if it's real or not? But right, that, even that if doesn't it's matter. just like a like a little myth, like an online myth, then it's still it. But it still has a, a point to it. Yes, and here's what this person who apparently is UMHI Yumi I am Alexis, whatever. That, I think it's um I'm Alexis. Um hi, I'm Alexis. Oh yeah, that's probably what it is. Um hi, I'm Alexis. Writes. A kid at my school has a panini maker, so he sells paninis to other students, and everyone called him Dan the Panini Man. (laughs) But the campus police shut him down because it's not legal to sell food if it's not a bake sale or whatever. That's what W slash E means in kids speak, right? So now he's Dan the Paper Towel Man, and he sells paper towels, but with each paper towel purchase, you get a free panini. And this is the same kind of thing I've seen people do, and in fact, I did this myself in the very first days of 5x5, five five, before Kickstarter existed, before Patreon existed, before any of Indiegogo, <laughs> before any of those existed, uh, there was no easy way to like take money. You just did it with, uh, with PayPal. And I, uh, I said, listen, I have these couple podcasts, but I want to build a podcast network. I want to do this for a living. And y'all can help me. And I started a little website where people could go on you know, the pre five by five site and they could buy was basically like a membership. It was like a donation, if you will, to five by five to help me start the company. And I raised enough money that I was able to like buy the equipment that I needed and convince my family that this could be real and that I could really do it. This is before I even had any sponsors or, or mat- really material to show sponsors to, to get them to spend money. And uh, and so a lot of y'all, probably some of y'all listening right now, yeah. invested a little bit of money. Some people gave five, some people gave. And I remember I was speaking to a friend of mine and he said, well, why is the highest donation 50? And I said, because I don't think anyone's going to donate 50, let alone more than 50. And he said, if you don't give them the option, then they can't. Then they can't. Yeah. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, trust me, you need to make a much bigger donation. I said, like, how big? He said, like. A lot bigger. I said, like, 250? He said, that, that'd be a start. And I said, all right, fine. And I, I made a 250 donation option. And I got a handful of people who donated 250 bucks. That's awesome. Most of the people donated five. But there were some who did the $250 option, which is another valuable lesson, I would say. But uh, one of the things that I did is I said, okay, if you donate over a certain amount, I will send you a free t-shirt. Right. So they weren't. And of course, you know, that amount was $20. Uh, So yeah, technically they were buying t-shirts, right? But they weren't. They were making a donation. And uh, as thank you, I was sending them a t-shirt. And that's what I did subsequently year after year when I was doing 5x5 shirts. I would do, oh, you can get a 5x5 membership. What do you get with the membership? Just uh, my thanks. And by the way, I'll send you a shirt. And it's kind of like a loophole, but it does, it does really yep. work. And I mean, and that's what this, so whether this Panini story is true or not. Right. I think it's just a lesson that it's like, don't let people tell you no, because you can be smart enough to weasel around whatever they're telling you no about, you know, in your, in your business life. Uh, I think that you also need to be able to, Think quickly and think on your toes and be able to be like, and not lock into one business model, you know, oh, well, this is how, this is how I see us doing it. This is how I see, you know, the future of this company. But it's like, but you need to be able to change and adapt and, and get through all that. So anyway, I I think this is a pretty good find and hopefully food for thought for 
a lot of the listeners out there. What do you think? What's the takeaway from this that uh, that you should think creatively around? Think on your toes. Think on your toes. Yeah. Think around the stuff that you're doing because there's there's usually a way. I think to out of it to spin something. Yeah. Now I, I'm trying to think back to when I was a kid. How you could have gotten? How I could have gotten around it uh, in a way that the teachers wouldn't have objected to. You could sell pencils. Yeah, I don't know why, but that we, we had a little, little thing you could buy pencils at the school. Why is that? What rule is that breaking? Right. Like who on the, and why are they doing that? Why maybe, are they making it so you can't do that? What, like, okay, so I understand in this one, he says bake sale, whatever, but what if I had just made brownies at home and I showed up with brownies and I said to people, you want to buy a brownie? It's 10 cents to buy a brownie, 25 cents to buy a brownie. Would they have shut me down? I think they would have. Yeah. Um, but why? Like, what is, I'm curious, maybe listeners know, maybe there's some maybe listeners they in don't academia. Like that, you know, maybe it's just like, too close to selling drugs on school camp. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what maybe would freak out a school. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, I thought this was a very nice little topic there. Um, hi, I'm Alexis. <laughs> okay. Now I have a few other stories. How do let, let's do our, uh, let's take a quick break and do our first sponsor. Do I you, think, do you think that, that we be should allowed? It's, it's a really cool thing that you might even have heard about under a different name. It's called LinkedIn Learning. You may have heard about it back in the day when it was called Linda, lynda.com. We've had Linda on this show. So many times. They've supported 5 by 5 and quit for many, many years. And then they kind of went radio silent. What was going on was LinkedIn Learning was acquiring them and getting all their content and integrating them in to this amazing product that's now called LinkedIn Learning. And this is for problem solvers, for achievers, for people who want to make things happen. You know, maybe you want to improve your productivity. You want to get better at time management. You want to get better at doing meetings. Everything you need to accomplish more is on LinkedIn Learning. Now, also, you might say, well, what else do I, what else can I do with it? Well, you can take courses in pretty much every single application that's out there, whether it's the office stuff like Outlook Excel. You might want to learn QuickBooks to handle your own accounting. I mean, you name it. Of course, there's Photoshop. Of course, there's podcast editing classes on there. Of course, you can learn how to code, learn how to code at PHP or Ruby. or I mean, you name it. They even have video production courses on there. Everything is there. And it's so easy to get in and learn something. And you do it all at your own pace. They have an, an extensive library on everything. But the, the key, the one takeaway for this is you're learning at your own speed, at your own pace in the method that you prefer. And that's, that's the important thing here. You can go and sit down and watch an hour-long course all at once, or you can jump in, find the specific topic that you want, spend five minutes, oh, oh right, that's how I do that thing. Even if, yeah, even if it's a reminder of something, right. like, oh, I forgot how to do that. There's this one thing I want to do in Photoshop. How do I do that thing? Well, there's the Photoshop course. Here's the topic. I jump right in. Okay, five minutes later, you're like, great. Now I know how to do yeah, that Yeah, they're thing. broken down really well. Like, if you're going through all the chapters and everything, they're right. really easy. So this is the other thing that I want you to remember is industry experts are the ones who are teaching this. These are people who are passionate. They're people who do this stuff for a living and they're working with LinkedIn Learning, aka Linda, to create these great courses. These are not like somebody who picked up a book and read it and then did a course. These are people who do this stuff for a living. Whatever it is, they're the, the experts. They're the masters. Uh, you can even get transcripts for each video. There are quizzes. There's the project files for you to download. You name it, you got it. 
and you get access to all of the courses, any course you want, as many times as you want, all for one monthly price, and it's available worldwide on your computer, your tablet, your mobile device. And they have a special deal just for you guys, just for the listeners of this show, 30-day free trial with LinkedIn Learning by going to linkedin.com slash quit. Again, linkedin.com slash quit. And that's it. Go there. And just visiting that URL will support this show. But you'll also get that 30-day free trial, which is something special. So go thanks, and learn something. Go and learn something. Thank, thanks very much, LinkedIn Learning. All right. Now, my next topic. <clears throat> yeah, this is awesome. Another, another interesting um, story. Another huh? intelligent youngster. Hmm. This article came out a month or so ago. Uh, it is an article on MSN in their money section. And the title of the article is 28-year-old makes millions buying from Walmart, selling on Amazon. This is pretty interesting. Yeah, and it, it it's really smart if you really think about it. There's a guy named uh, Ryan Grant. And what he would do is he would go to Walmart and then eventually he expanded to Target. And he would go to the clearance aisle. Where everything's literally $3. Right. Like... <laughs> And he would buy whatever was there and he would put it on Amazon and sell it for a bit more, like less than what else, what it might've cost at Amazon. And at first he was selling it out of his like uh, dorm room or his, um, his little apartment. And then eventually he would start shipping all of the products to like at the Amazon warehouse so that they would handle all the fulfillment. I guess that's how he started doing it. But he was, um, he, I guess he was on a career path and he said he didn't like it. He didn't like college that he was in or he didn't like what he was doing. And what he originally started doing was doing book textbook buybacks. So twice a year, he would do an event on campus where he would buy your books back. And then he would list the books on Amazon and ship them to customers all around the country. And I That's guess he brilliant. was paying a little bit more than what like the local school bookstore was paying. Probably. So he would get them for just a little bit more. Oh, when they buy back your textbooks, it's like they give you nothing. Right. It's like, you. oh, I bought these for like $700. <laughs> and that was my total one year for really? books was $700. God. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then, um, yeah, they buy them back and they're like, oh, we'll give you $10 for this book. Right. And you're like, excuse right. me. Right. A book that you spent $90 <laughs> on. You get about $35 to $65 back. And so maybe he was paying enough more than that. And I'll tell you what, if you're in college, an extra 10 bucks, well, yeah. yeah, you'll do that. Yeah. That's like a week's worth of groceries if, you, if you're <laughs> yeah. smart. And or so, a night's worth of drinks. There you go. <laughs> and so, uh, so he, would, um, he would do that and he was making $10,000 a year in profit doing that for just those two events. That's really good. And uh, here's a quote from the article. It says, the process worked simply enough. Using the Amazon seller app, he could see exactly how much he could expect to profit on each book and in what time frame. But the hours spent processing and packaging each order himself proved to be a bit much. So he says, uh, going through that process for one semester was enough to know that I didn't want to do it again. From there forward, I did fulfillment by Amazon the rest of the way. So he's sending all this stuff to Amazon's warehouse and then they're doing all the fulfillment. He could ship the books in bulk to Amazon using UPS has a preferred rate. Mm-hmm. So you, if you're shipping enough with them, you would get this preferred rate. It would go to the Amazon warehouse and then for a fee, 
Amazon handles all the processing and shipping out for each order. So he basically just had to go and do this event once. He'd get all the books and he'd send all the books to Amazon. He's just done. The the true thing is sit back and and watch the cash cash roll in. in. And that's the goal. So he did that. And then uh, he started doing this accounting job. And he's like, I don't don't like this. I want to do more than just textbooks, right? So then after work and on the weekends, he would go to Walmart and he brought his phone with him. And he'd go to the clearance aisle and he'd scan the items using the Amazon app because you know how it has that little camera? Yeah, and you scan all the... And it, you just scan the barcode and it comes up and shows you how much it is. Like and the he, price comparison on Amazon. Right. Yeah. And so, all the, you know, usually you're using that to Amazon's benefit because you go to, <laughs> right. you go to Best Buy and you're like, oh, how much is this uh, keyboard, this computer keyboard? And it's like... $99 on Best Buy and on Amazon it's $59. Right, and you're like, like, well then, goodbye. Right, I'll, I'll just order it. I'll, right here in Best Buy on my phone. In Best Buy on my phone and I'll even pay the extra three ninety nine to get it tomorrow. Yep. And, you know, uh, he was basically doing the opposite and saying, wow, this is $3 on the shelf at Walmart and it's $15 on Amazon. Great, I'll just sell it for $14 on Amazon and I'll make a $9 profit. And that's what he did. And he started doing this with toys and games and home improvement items and... um he says here in the, in the article, it says a receipt from his early days shows a variety of purchases, everything from vacuums to Barbies, Lego sets to stainless steel flatware. <laughs> he says, I was putting in about 10 hours per week and I was making in the ballpark of $1,000 per month. Now, you're going to tell yourself, well, that's not, that's a not lot. great, right. but he, he says, uh, it says once he was able to make the same kind of money reselling on Amazon as he'd made in his accounting job, he quit. I, hey, he followed the Dan Benjamin That's thing. Right. If you're once you're making the exact same as what you would be making at your job, he says I was confident, and this is the lesson that we've talked about here, and he he expresses it very effectively. He says I was confident that if I had full time hours to dedicate to selling online, that I'd be able to more or less scale that up. Just three months later, in December, he notched nine thousand dollars in profit, over twenty five thousand dollars in total sales. Nice, not bad. Making that amount of money in one month was a big boost to my confidence to be able to scale up further from there. Uh, so then he went from um, his little duplex to renting out a 725-foot warehouse. <laughs> he would pack his uh, Mazda 626, which was the same car that I had in college. Aww. And he would go back and forth to Target and Toys R Us and Walmart and basically just buy the stuff and then turn around, ship it to Amazon and, uh, and sell it at a profit. But he says it was starting to basically take over my life because I'm coming home and there's product all over my house. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, where is he keeping all of this stuff? <laughs> when the 30 hours of shopping and the 15 hours of preparing shipments each week became too much to handle alone, he hired his first employee, a Aww. friend who could help scour local stores. And he talks about how it got easier and easier and like what they would do. Another really smart thing he would do is he would go in and you know how they have discounted uh, candy after Halloween and Christmas decorations after the new year. He would go in and buy those up. And he says, believe it or not, there's actually people buying those items out of season. And it just continued. Things continued to take off. He says, he says, I went from just me in this business doing around three to five thousand dollars in sales per month. And now four years later, we're a team of. 11 were doing over $200,000 in sales per month. He had to move the team to a warehouse that's five times as large as the first one that they did. (laughs) He's a tiny Amazon, if you think about it. (laughs) So listen, this is going to blow your mind. Okay, this is going to blow your mind, Hattie. 
Since he started selling on Amazon, Grant says the business is on track to top $8 million in total sales by the end of this year. <laughs> Profits are heavily reinvested back into the company. He was still able to take a salary of $150,000 when he was working for it full time. What? Yeah. <laughs> No, they did make mistakes, though. Yes, as as is all every business has mistakes. Uh, here's one. He says they lost six thousand dollars when a faulty nail filing product for dogs got his seller account suspended, and oh. they also had to pay the fees that Amazon charges for products that failed to sell and sit in the warehouse. So if they make uh. a mistake about what they're buying and it doesn't sell. Uh, so he says he thinks anyone can do it if these they're willing to put in the work. Uh, but now the business is run more and more by his team. So he's reduced his salary to 60K and he now spends time uh, consulting and teaching e-commerce classes uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I guess he's making more money there. He says, but now he's got the freedom of the schedule uh, and, and he's turned it into something even more. And now he, he says... He says, I mean, I would be sitting in an office cubicle now or working at a client location as opposed to doing what I want to do effectively when I want to do it. Yep. Pretty great story. I feel like we that is not the last that, that we will hear about him. You know, I feel like that's very like a young Steve Jobs type of story. You know, like, oh, well, I just started this little thing. And well, it's, I feel, like, I, I feel I, like we'll hear more about him. <laughs> I guarantee you, Hattie, that a lot of people in the audience right now, including me, probably you, have thought about doing the same exact thing, but there's something that, at least for me, stopped me from doing smart, it. It like, like kind of bad in a way, like, ugh, maybe that feels kind of like feels upselling, right, you know, or, I don't know. Or like there's that other feeling. But there's that, no law against it. No, it's fine to do that. <laughs> it's fine to do it. It's not stolen merchandise. No. He's buying it. Uh, but the thing that would have stopped me from doing it is I would say either there's that little voice in your head that, wow, that won't work. Right, or I'm going to get, I'm going to, think that this is a great idea and get all this stuff and then no one will ever buy right. it. it and then now I have all this crap in my house or, just or the idea <laughs> is so it, the idea is so easy it's I'm sure simple. I'm sure someone else is already doing it or and, that it's not allowed yeah and I won't be able to do what <laughs> what they're doing but that's not the case at all no uh, and he's living proof of that so you know and he's got a nice hands-off business and there there are we had this conversation a long time ago had a few years ago uh, when we were talking about uh, what kinds of levels of successes there are, moderate success, I think was the term uh, that that was being tossed around at the time. And for um, uh, somebody asked me this morning, uh, we were on a phone call about Fireside, talking about Fireside. And he said, I'm sure your goal is just to sell Fireside to somebody at some point. And, you know, I, I will say it's always smart to have an exit, an idea of what your exit might be. Right in the back of your mind when you start a business of any kind you like to kind of have a goal and say to yourself you know i'm starting this thing and what's my goal one day and so famously dropbox uh apple wanted to buy dropbox and i forget how much they were offered but it was a lot of money and the famous comment that steve jobs was purported to have said was um you're not a business you're a feature uh, in other words Dropbox itself is a feature of macOS, a, a feature, right? <laughs> yeah. A feature of something. It's not in and of itself a product. It's not in and of itself a business. And, and Dropbox, an idea, right. Dropbox didn't like that, whether it was actually said or if that was what they walked away from the meeting with Apple thinking. 
what they said is, no, actually, we want to build a business out of this. We want to make this something that people will uh, will use and it will be a thriving business with lots of employees that that helps the local job market by employing people and creates an excellent product that everyone can use. And, you know, they were they were serious about building it into a business and they did and they have and it still, I think, seems to be successful. I don't ever hear bad things about Dropbox uh, in relation to like how they're doing and how they're trading or whatever. But, you know, the idea that you could start a business and be prepared in your mind to say, you know what, I, maybe I might want to sell this thing one day. Maybe I might want to do that. That's not on my mind as I build Fireside. Quite the opposite. I'm uh, I'm building something because I enjoy the process of building things. I enjoy creating something. I love to make something that brings people, I mean, maybe this sounds silly, but that brings people some degree of happiness, that makes their life easier, that makes them uh, maybe have less stress or headache about the thing that they want to do, in this case, podcasting. And I love podcasting and I love helping the global community of podcasters by making something that hopefully helps them do their job more easily. That hopefully helps things be a little bit more fun and a little bit less stressful. And, and, and so that's why I'm doing Fireside. And if in, uh, you know, if in a year Fireside's still doing what it's doing right now, I'd be very happy with that. If it's doing double what it's doing, I'll be twice as happy as that, you know, but we're not quite at the point where I could make my whole living doing Fireside, but we're getting closer. And, uh, and so, you know, the idea that you're just building something just to sell it, I don't go into it feeling that way. I go into it thinking this is something that I've built that I, I genuinely enjoy building and like working on. And, uh, and so I'm just having, I'm having fun with it. But I remember talking to a friend of mine um, when he was first building an, a, a software as a service application. This was maybe, uh, let's say eight years ago. And he was just, he was basically a designer who was teaching himself to write code to program. And I would help him with some of that. And I gave him advice and things like that. And, um, and he gave me a, a small little percentage of the business in return for the ongoing help that I was giving him. And the software that he built was great. And I told him early on, on day one, I'm like, you need to have an exit plan. You need to have in mind that if you're building this at some point, you're probably going to want to sell it. Oh no, Dan, I'll, I'll never want to sell. I'll never want to sell this. I'll never sell it. This is like my dream is to like build this and like have like this business that I can like do. And like, I might want to do this for 10 years. I might want to do this for 15 years. And I, I said to him, I said, well, you know, th- that may be true. So, but chances are that's not true. Chances are you will do it for a while. And uh, unfortunately, um, most likely you will burn out on it. Uh, right. Or you'll get frustrated on it, or you'll want to do something else because he was a bit younger than me at the time. Right. He was in maybe his like late twenties, early thirties time period. And when you're at that age, you have that's where you think you're going to find like your thing, where you right. can be like, "This is what I'm going to be doing for the next forty years." Like mm-hmm. this is like I feel like a lot of people think like at like thirty to thirty seven, like that's when I'm going to have my thing. Right. Yeah, and I think you were like, no, this is, this is like just a, t- a time period. Right. You. I'm like, this is something you're going to do. And may, uh, hopefully I'm wrong. And hopefully you do this and you love it and you want to do it for the rest of your life. I said, but 
most of the time that's not true. And you may be the exception, but most of the time that's not true. And what's actually going to happen is you're, you're going to want to get out at some point. So just keep that in mind and have a plan for how you might want to do that. So flash forward a handful of years, he's totally burnt out on it. He's totally frustrated with it. He's still passionate about his work and what he's done, but he's over it. He's over it. And what happens? Sells a company and, uh, and gets out. Now, in the process, he learned a lot about running a service like that. He learned more than he ever would have learned doing a job for somebody else, working full-time for somebody else. He learned about business. He learned about marketing. He learned about software development. He learned about so much. He also learned about doing support and the headaches of that and the stress of upgrading servers and running patches and all this stuff that, you know, that he had to do uh, to make it work and all the details and the headache that went into it. So that when he finally sold it, he did not, he did not get rich from it. Um, he, he made, you know, a few years salary worth out of the sale, but it's not like he doesn't have to work anymore. He's, right. he went right to work, you know? Um, got a full-time job and, and now he's probably got his kid's college paid for and he probably was able to put a down payment on a house, but it's not like, it's not like he's like not working again. Like my other friend who sold right. his thing and is like never has to work again. Uh, but you know, have that exit plan, have that plan in mind just so that you can say, okay, I love doing this now and I can't see not loving to do it, but you know what? I have to try and envision that. I have to force myself to it's think like about It's like a prenup for your business. A prenup. Title, <laughs> perfect title, Hattie. Now let me tell you about our second sponsor. Is that okay? Am I? Yes. Is it okay if I do that, Hattie? Because I know you're, you know you're telling me what to do all the time now. I'm in charge. So top resume. Oh yeah, Hattie. It's time that your your I'm pointing at you. I know your resume. I know it's time your resume got noticed. Top Resume is a leading professional resume writing service. It helps open more doors for professionals like you. They've helped over 300,000 professionals land more interviews and get hired faster. Now, this is the thing. You have a resume right now, don't you? And you're looking at it and you're thinking, my resume is like pretty awesome, dude. Like I have this down. But the reality is you probably don't. The resume, it is the most important tool in your job search. It is your first impression. It is your ticket to the interview. You can't underestimate the importance of this tool. It does the heavy lifting for you. It is the first impression that anyone's going to see of you. Okay? Your resume has a job. You've got to get past the bots and the screening technology that recruiters are using these days to sort and track applicants so that they actually get seen by a human being. You've got to also convey your skills, your qualifications, your expertise. You've got to showcase your achievements. You've got to show that you've got a track record. You've got to differentiate yourself from other candidates with similar experience and like a good movie trailer. You have to leave them wanting to know more. Oh, I like this person. How am I going to, I got to, I got to find out more about this person. Is your resume doing that? No, it's a bulleted list. He's a paper. Education completed master's degree here no it's boring i'm already bored i'm already bored by your resume hattie i'm, I'm already bored. not hiring you i'm already not hiring these people so here's the thing with top resume you work with an expert writer to create a resume that showcases your achievements that details your experience that tells a story that also matches up using the right keywords and the skills that recruiters are seeking. It'll get you interviews faster by telling the best version 
of your story. And their service, this service, Top Resume, has been proven to result in two to three times more interviews. That's really good. A professionally written resume is 60% more likely to be read by recruiters. Professionally written resumes are three times more likely to be chosen for follow-up by recruiters based on formatting and presentation alone. Oh, yeah. And they offer uh, a 60-day interview guarantee. You'll get twice as many interviews or they will rewrite your resume again for free. That's awesome. And keep in mind, Hattie, and you should listen to this. What? Uh, a new job, typically you get a 10% raise. Just think about that. 10%. Yeah. So maybe it's time to start. Well, not for you, but for other people, <laughs> maybe it's time to start looking. I think so. And they're going to give our listeners 10% off the resume writing service package. Here's what you do. And this is weird. I don't know why it's this URL, but shame shame on Hattie. This is correct. But the, re- the URL... I feel I'm a little hurt by No, we're, we're helping out a, uh, another show. Okay. Well, it's topresume.com slash back to work. Yep. Which is a show I do with Merlin Mann. But get back to work and stop writing your oh, resume. That's a funny way to you turn. Know, yeah. It could be Topresume.com slash back to work. Whatever. You'll still get a 10% off your re- the resume writing service package, which you need. And you should seriously consider this. They'll even critique your resume. Do you see that? Yeah, they critique. They'll look at it and they'll be like, well, here's, like here's how it could be better. Right. If you're like, oh, mine's already cool. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks very much to Top Resume for supporting this program. All right. I've got another uh, story here. And this is something that I think I was talking to John Roderick about this on uh, Roadwork, but I can't remember what episode it was. This is an article in Inc. Magazine. And it says, in an eight-hour day, the average worker is productive for this many hours, because that's what they call clickbait. clickbait. Because if they put three hours, you wouldn't even click. You're like, like, okay, I've already read the article now. (laughs) Uh, So this is what it says. They say that uh, the eight, and this is an article by Melanie Curtin, who lists herself as a writer and activist. The eight-hour workday is not based on the optimal number of hours a human can concentrate. Did you know that? Where did they come up with an eight with eight hour workdays? Uh, I thought it was um, smells musty and moldy in here. Like there's, I was going to say leak. it smells not good. Um, Do we need to evacuate the building? Not. Do you smell that? Yeah. Did that just start? It also smells. <sighs> what I is think that? someone's doing food or something. No, it, it smells, smells like, like old cake. You know, I have ew. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> old cake? <laughs> Yeah, have you ever gotten in like your car when you haven't run the AC for a while and yeah. you turn it on and it's like, you know, <laughs> yes, that's, you know, what if they just turn the heat on? I feel cold air blowing. Oh, maybe they switched it back over because they were like, oh no, it's 90 outside now after it just snowed. Ugh. Who knows? Ugh. Um, it says, in fact, it's almost nothing to do with the kind of work most people do now. Its origins lie in the industrial revolution, not the information age. May I, may I proceed? Hattie? Yes, I think I have in mind who I think created the eight-hour workday okay who was it starts with a j it does not and i will keep reading in the uh (laughs) in the late 18th century 10 to 16 hour workdays were normal because factories needed to be run 24 7 when it became clear that such long days were both brutal and unsustainable leaders like welsh activist robert owen oh here i got it robert owen i just said it no robert owen did not who did Henry Ford was uh, the one. Why does it who, say Robert Owen? 
I don't know. Because he did it in 1817. What year did Ford come and do it? During the Industrial Revolution, factories needed to be running around the clock, so employees uh, during this era frequently worked 10 to 16 hour days. In the 1920s, however, Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, decided to try something different. Okay, that's the 1920s. My my boy Robert Owen did it in 1817. (laughs) Nice. Nice, Rob. Nice to copy everyone, Ford. Ford's like, well, I did it. Right. And you're like, no, you didn't. I will put, I'll put... (laughs) My boy Robert Owen up against Ford any day. Like a, almost like a Pokemon battle. Bare knuckle boxing. (laughs) Okay. Well, I didn't know that about Ford, but you're saying that he. I think he was the first one to really be like, it's eight hours a day, five days a week. That's what we're doing. So he is actually. He's like the one that like said, this is going to be the normal thing. Well, it does talk about Ford a little bit later in here, but let's not get too far out of ourselves. (laughs) Uh, Welsh activist Robert Owen advocated for shorter work days. His slogan became eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest. I like all of that. I li- I'm going to do that from now on. That's my thing from now on. Eight hours, full eight hours. But you know what? He didn't say anything about five days a week. Maybe that's where Ford comes in. Right. And he was like, this is like a Monday through Friday thing. Right. It did not. <laughs> it says it did not become standard until your boy Ford came about in 1914. So we're talking a hundred years later it took. <laughs> To actually get anyone to adopt it's still this. eight hours, but it was every single day. <laughs> yeah. So what they but what they found, what Ford found, was that by cutting the amount of time people work, you actually would you increase better, productivity. Yeah. So you by taking them down from 10, 12, 16 hours a day and making saying your guys are gonna work half of what you used to work, they were more productive and more stuff got done. Because they had more time to recharge. So the eight-hour workday was initially instituted as a way to make the average worker more workday more <laughs> humane. Now that uh, she says the workday is ripe for another disruption. There's I think so too. Research saying that an eight-hour day, uh, the average worker is productive. Okay, have you read this? No, I don't think okay. so. Take I, a get. Take first, a guess. I heard that the people are most productive in the morning, right when they get to work, because it's like okay. Let's do this thing. And then there's the three o'clock crash. Everybody right. has lunch. Everyone's forgotten everything that they were just working on and then give up the rest of the day. And they're like, yeah, I might as well just go on Facebook. Do you, so if I I'm were to ask say, you how many hours a day, uh, how many hours a day is the average worker productive? Based I'm going to say four. Okay. You're being still too generous. Three? They say two hours and 53 minutes. Oh, that's so sad. So three hours a day is the full is how much you're actually productive according to the bureau of labor statistics the average american works 8.8 hours every day but a study of nearly 2,000 full-time office workers revealed that most people people aren't working for most of the time they're at work and it says the most popular unproductive activities listed were uh also i'm gonna say i I hope it's not broad where it's like internet like no it's more specific it's all Uh, all of them are all of almost all of them are internet stuff but yeah i was gonna say like youtube's music uh patty currently revealing what she does Facebook, for the other five hours a day instagram um okay i'll tell i'll tell you what online they are. shopping uh reading <laughs> reading news websites these are the average uh, ta- these are the tasks and then the average amount of time that uh, the two thousand people said they're doing reading news websites one hour and five minutes checking social media 44 minutes discussing non-work related things with coworkers. With other people. <laughs> 40 minutes <laughs> searching for new jobs 26 oh, minutes oh god <laughs> taking smoke breaks 23 minutes <laughs> making calls to partners or friends 18 minutes making hot drinks 17 minutes we spend a lot of time making hot we tea we do here, here that's true <laughs> everything's like we need more tea i don't have any tea right now i keep I drinking the liqueur um texting or instant messaging hattie 
14 <laughs> minutes, eating snacks, eight minutes and making food in the office, seven minutes. And what they're saying is this is good news for who? For people who work from home. Right. Uh, it says it's easy to feel like you're not doing enough when you have to right. go, when you don't have to go into an office. Yet this research suggests that if you're productive for just three hours a day, you're outputting the same amount as That's someone crazy. in the office for eight hours. <laughs> and, uh, and what they're saying uh, in the article kind of closes by saying, well, even if we don't cut the workday down to just three hours, what if we cut it to six? What if the yeah. normal workday was 11 to five? You know, people would be better rested. They'd be more focused. They'd be more productive. Oh, but, I would uh, love that. But who, who is the company that's going to take that risk? You know, who's going to take the risk? It would have to be somebody very large, you know, yeah. Amazon or something, but they, we, they can't, we got to no get our stuff shipped to us. <laughs> My brother-in-law works for uh, FedEx ground. Uh-huh. And when the holidays start, not only do they have to hire additional people to come in and work with them, but the people who are already there have to do like double shifts. Like they're just going nonstop because that's what the demand is. But most of us don't have that kind of job. Most of us are like in an office, but think about it. Like, what do you, what do you guys all do? During the day. day. And How try much and is break really it down. productive? Yeah, you know? do it for fun. You don't have to share it with any. I mean, you can share it with us if you want to. But like, you know, break it down. Be like, kind of be aware of what you're doing and just kind of make a little note like on a pad. Like, these are the things I did in the day and just write down whenever you do it. Like, check the phone. Mm-hmm. And then like, write down the time, you know, and you can kind of, and then look back over it and be like, wow, I really didn't do anything. <laughs> and you know, I think one of the things that people always have, uh, I guess they're always surprised to learn or they always have the wrong idea. And we've talked about this a lot on quit that they seem to think that five by five or fireside or Archer Avenue yeah. are much, much bigger companies. Like all the time when people are asking people are always me, asking to, like, Oh, could we speak to your accounts receivable or a department, different department or, or yeah, like, no, that's me. They're like, Oh, well, what about that? No, still me. Still me. <laughs> right. Uh, can you forward this to accounting? Yeah. I already have it. You just sent it to me. So, yeah. Or that like all my emails is just like Hattie at whatever, you right. know, and it's just all the it's same. All and they're you. like, which one should I put this on? I'm like, like all of them because of I'll them. just get all of them. It's fine. <laughs> you know, and that's something that, that I think both you and I have in common is that we we are we generally tend to, although I know I crash after I do this for a long enough period of time and, and kind of reject, but <laughs> you know, I think both of us put in a lot of time and I think there's a lot of our listeners who who are saying, I'm way more productive than that. I'm putting right. in and way more people, than three yeah. hours. I'm putting in eight, I'm putting in 12. But the question I think that you need to ask yourself is, one, uh, being very realistic, how much time are you really putting in? But then, uh, two, also the thing the quality to... quality th- of it. That's exactly where I was going, yes. Is that you really need to think about what kind of quality, if you are putting in seven, eight, nine hours a day, whatever how much of your quality self is really going into that? Would you do better work for four hours a, a day yeah. than you would for 10 hours a day? And it doesn't seem to make sense. And whenever you hear about somebody who's like, oh, I only work four hours a day. Like, you're like, how can you get anything done? It's something that, you know, what if you eliminated 100% of the distractions that were there yeah. and you were Coming in to focus absolutely. Right, you're in a white room with just your stuff that you need to get your stuff done. Right. How long you think you could really focus before you're like, 
I'm going to count the ceiling tiles. Like right. how long? Right, would it without take? taking breaks to make tea, <laughs> without looking at your phone, right. without browsing a website. What if you actually just put all that work? And and what they don't talk about in this article is something I've often wondered about: is that you know the way that people work isn't. I'm going to sit down and focus solid for four hours. It's right. I'm going to focus for a little bit. Then I'm going to take a break. I'm going to do something. And I think that's natural. I think it's the way the human mind Also, I think that's works. needed, especially when you're working on the computer. You're not supposed to stare at a screen That's for right. That you long. need to take yeah. those breaks. So, and so also, it's not like you could consolidate your whole day and say, I'm only going to work from noon until four every day. Also, you know, something like the what I do is my job is kind of dependent on when other people are emailing me so it's like i can't like if i inbox zero everything's done whatever there are things i can be doing but like i have to wait for people to email me email me back so that i can continue on my project you know like i'm held up by others uh at multiple times so i think a lot of people's jobs are like that so it's a lot of kind of work really hard for two hours and then like wait around for a response sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I mean, how how many people in the audience do you think are in exactly the same yeah, boat many. where they're working on a project and they're, well, I can't do this thing because the developer's not done with that and I can't do this until my boss signs off on it. And, you know, and I, I think that is a, a frustration because a lot of the time people are like, I want to do something. Right, like I'm feeling productive right now, but I can't be productive because someone else is holding me right. up. Right, <laughs> great point. But we would like to thank, as our final sponsor of the day, Hattie. The coolest people in the whole world. It's the Eero. E-E-R-O. Eero, what they did is they rolled in and they said, look, the current situation with Wi-Fi, they didn't use this term. Hurls they said, chunks. It hurls chunks. Yeah. It's horrible. What, we, what, what they found is everybody has some kind of wireless base station. Of some powerful base station sitting in a room probably not even the room they want it in. Just and whichever one the jack is in. Wherever else in the house you go, you've got dead zones. You can't sit on your back patio when there's beautiful weather because the signal doesn't reach. You can't use uh, a computer up in the bedroom because the signal is terrible. You can't operate your wireless sprinkler, sprinkler system because the Wi-Fi doesn't reach out to the garage. Nice. You can't install that new ring doorbell thing because right. can't no reach it. Yeah. So what did they do? They said, this is not the right way to do this. We have a technology called Mesh. Where what we're going to do is we're going to create a blanket of Wi-Fi that covers the whole house. And these second generation Eero systems that they came out with. They're so little. They're really, really cool. What they did is they added, they have three five gigahertz radios in them. And they have tri-band. What that basically means is it's twice as fast as the predecessor, which was very fast. And what this means is we can, as customers, we can do more. We can do more and we can do more simultaneously. We can do it in every room of our home. Because what happens is you, they have these little things called beacons. And these beacons are little boxes that plug directly into the electrical outlet. So they don't, uh, they don't have wires, enough cables. It's just like a little, it almost looks like a little nightlight. And in fact, it has a nightlight built into it. And you can control the nightlight with the Aero app. You can set it on a timer. You can set it to detect the, the light in the dark. It's super cool. But what these little beacons do is they create this mesh. They're not range extenders. No, they're not extenders. They're not extenders. They create, they're part of the network and they create this mesh that lets you have, they call it true mesh software. Uh, and and that, is, uh, that is what makes 
the internet so fast throughout your whole house. They solved a big problem for us. My son up in his room, he was in one of these dead zones. And like, I thought at first he was having a problem with his PC and I brought my computer up there and I used my Wi-Fi, and I was like, oh my God, downstairs we were getting 300 down. Yep. Up there he's getting 40. I'm like, what is going on? Put in the arrow, guess what? Now he's getting 300 up there. Huge improvement all throughout the house. We don't have any dead zones, nothing. So this is this is genius. And uh, and I, I really think you all should check this out. They're offering, I mean, you can buy, first of all, you can buy these things anywhere. You can get them on Amazon. My parents you can get have them, them and anywhere they else. love it. But they have a special deal. You can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, that's new for them. They're excited. By going to Eero.com, E-E-R-O, Eero.com, and uh, at checkout, select overnight shipping. It'll look like it's going to charge you for it, but you put in the uh, promo code QUIT, and that will make that free. So Eero.com, pick overnight shipping, use the code QUIT. Obviously, it'll support the show, but it'll, it'll, it'll make that uh, overnight shipping free. And now you're going to have enterprise-grade Wi-Fi, and they've got everything that you could possibly need in it. It's got the, the right kind of encryption and the right kind of passwords. And it, uh, you know, the app is amazing and they're, really they're cus- fun have and easy to use. Have you used their customer support yet? I have not. They are awesome. Literally, you can call them, and they, I mean, they picked up on like the first ring when really? I called. It was amazing. Nice. Well, I, uh, I think y'all should check this out. And um, that's it. That's all we got to tell you about Eero, except that they're great. So go check them out. Eero.com. Blanket your house with Wi-Fi. Thanks, Eero. All right. And the last thing I want to tell you guys about on the show this week is an interesting article that uh, is going to, you know, how do I want you to think about this? Because you're, you're a millennial, right? I am. Are you an older millennial? No. I think I think our, our mutual friend, is a older millennial. Oh, CB? Yeah. Yeah. He's creepy that way. <laughs> well, here's an article. Uh, it says, the share of older millennials living with relatives is still rising. Oh, yeah. Underscoring the lingering obstacles faced by Americans who entered the, gr- the workforce during and after the Great Recession. So here's some facts. I know, Hattie, all, all you care about is facts. That's all I care about. 20% of adults age 26 to 34. Okay, so that, so you're, that is you're me. in yeah, there. I am that. You're well in there. Well, just You're by, an old no, millennial. No, just by year. <laughs> well, think of Maggie. She's a young millennial. Yeah, she's You're a an baby. Old My sister is one year away from being an old millennial. I already told her she's old, so she can. Twenty percent of adults aged twenty six to thirty four are living with parents or other family members. A figure that has climbed steadily the past decade and is up from seventeen percent in two thousand twelve, according to an analysis of Census Bureau data by Trulia a real estate research firm, the increase defies record job openings and a 4.1% unemployment rate, the lowest in 17 years. So everybody has a jobs, but they're living they're with living their parents. <laughs> Not surprisingly, a much larger portion of younger millennials age 18 to 25 live with relatives, 59.8%. But that figure generally has fallen the past few years after peaking at 61.1% in 2012. <sighs> So uh, I'll, I'll add a little anecdotal comment. There was a woman that I worked with early on in my career, maybe my second job out of school, and um, she was very, very nice woman, uh, a little bit older than me, and so that would probably put her in her mid mid twenties, I would say, mid to late twenties. And uh, at one point, we were having a conversation, and she was talking about her boyfriend and. 
Uh, she'd been seeing him for a while. They were starting to think maybe talking about marriage. And I, I happened to say, oh, do you guys have do you guys live together or and and she said, oh, no, no, no. I, I live at home with my parents. I said, really? You <laughs> said, say what? <laughs> I was surprised. And I said, oh, really? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, she said, oh, and he does, too. Interesting. I said, really? Lives and, and she said, yeah. And I said, that's. You know, I'm I'm curious about this. You're the first person that I've met, kind of in my age or older, who's living with your. Now, she had a uh, a a more senior job than I did. Right. I don't know how much money she made, but I know it that was it more was than you. significantly yeah. more than me. Interesting. And she was just saving that cash. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe she had to take care of her parents. No. No. She it was turns just- out. Well, she was Vietnamese, mm-hmm. and her soon to be fiance was also vietnamese and she explained to me that in in their culture this I was, was a more normal a, a normal thing, thing okay. to do is that you live with your parents basically or according until to her until you're ready to get married until you're ready to get married and then you get married and then you're now living with your uh your new uh partner so um i i was thinking about that and i'm like well i could never live back home ever <laughs> but Maybe if you had Holy like, crap, yeah. she's probably banking 50K a year or more. <laughs> say, no rent, no groceries. I don't, and, and I'm like, nothing. oh, do you contribute to, oh, no, my parents won't let me, con- yeah. you know, they pay for everything, they do all the food. So I'm like, <laughs> what do you spend your money on? She's like, oh, just clothes if I want. And of course, she was like, not like a spendy person. Right, like, oh, I don't need that. Yeah, yeah. so she was just banking that she's money. She's probably just a b- billionaire and has her own island now. And I said, how, lo- how long have you been working? And, you know, and she's like, yeah. oh, I've been working five or six years. Oh, no, that's insane. I'm just thinking, you know, that's a lot of money. But I think a lot of people, I think that's probably, I wish they had pulled the people that were living at home why they were living. Is it a financial thing? Is it because they just wanted to save money? Is it because they you know, uh, maybe are thinking about changing jobs more frequently. And so they want to kind of have a, they don't have to keep moving apartments, you know, like what, I wonder what the, what the reason is. Well, uh, the article does talk a little bit about that, but not directly. Okay. So here's an example. Um, after graduating from Texas Tech University, that's your alma mater. That's where no, you went. Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Texas, Texas Tech, Tech uh, is more uh, north. Okay. Whatever. You can change your story as often as you want. After graduating from Texas Tech University with a journalism major in 2005, Heidi Toth, do you know her? No. Now 35, got a job quickly at Provo, Utah, Provo, Utah newspaper. But in early 2007, she went on an 18-month church mission, landing her back in the job market in the depths of the recession in 2008. Unable to find work, she moved in with her mother in Roswell, New Mexico. That's where the aliens are. For nine months <laughs> while she hunted for work and took part-time low-paying jobs. She was rehired at the Provo paper in spring 2009, but left again in 2013 after a series of layoffs modified her duties. After months of of fruitless (laughs) job searching and traveling, she returned to her mother's house for three months until she was hired at a Lubbock, Texas paper. She was said she was grateful she could live rent free during her periods of unemployment, but she adds it wasn't ideal professionally or personally. (laughs) And so, you know, giving, um, giving, that as kind of the explanation it sounds like she used used that opportunity to stay with her parents when she lost her job or was was in between jobs Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying i don't really want to do my own laundry or make my own food i'm just gonna get out of it i'm just gonna like do what i want to do right um so it 
you know, I mean, here's what she says. She says, I felt like it was back in high school. I felt like I had to ask permission to go out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, think about this. 38.4% of 18 to 34 year olds are living with their family. Now, do you think that, that also means huge. like with like, oh, I live with my sister or is it? They don't see that. No, I don't that like the name just relative punch, or like my computer screen. It doesn't break it down. <laughs> Because like, like what so if, many questions. Because you and your sister right, are... Like if I lived with, with Katie, that's technically a relative. It's a relative. And that's not me living with my parents. But yeah, would you say, well, I live with my family? No, no you'd say, I live would with, you say I live with family? No, you'd say I live with your sister. sister but, right. So we don't really know. I know. I have questions about this article. Yeah, I, I but... I like facts, Dan. I know you like facts. Uh, but the unemployment rate is much higher... Lower. Uh, high. The word here on the screen is higher <laughs> you read you said lower no, earlier one sign that younger group is closing gap <laughs> on older members is that the unemployment rate is much higher than that of the 26 to 34 age group because they lack experience oh. so the the youngies have a higher unemployment rate than the oldies in millennials does that make sense have a higher yeah the, the younger you are the less jobs you have well that's duh of course <laughs> But, you you know, what I'm saying is, like, they're coming out of the workforce and they don't have jobs. They're not working. Out of college. Out of college. Yeah. When, I, he, when, my, when my time, everyone that I knew right, graduated. Right, it was like, you better have some, one lined up. Right. I was working full time in a professional job in my uh, degree before I got my degree. Yeah, everybody's just in school now. And then they're like, they get out and they're like, oh, right, we didn't plan for that but here's some reasons they say <laughs> here's some reasons they say why many are burdened by student debt yeah. and can't afford high rents especially in larger cities total u.s student loan debt hit a record 1.36 trillion that makes me feel sick can you believe that a housing shortage is driving up prices so some people in their late 20s and 30s prefer to live with relatives so they can sock away more money to buy a home well good makes good sense. for them I can't imagine my kids still living in my house with me. <laughs> 28. Oh my God. I would so not. They get till they're 18. All right. And then it's like, you better have some lined up. <laughs> I don't even know, you know, if they're allowed to come back at Christmas time when they're in college, they might just have to stay away. Or they have a maximum number of days. Like right. You, you can come for three days. And that's it. That's it. Right. And then yeah. after and, that. And no yeah. laundry here. <laughs> right do it there's a laundromat down the street right. you can go to no, that i'll let them do it but i mean but that's the thing is like i feel like you know i never i knew that if something terrible happened you that i would have. always have a place to go with my parents i knew right. that but what i never really felt like i i never really felt like i wanted to use that to me that would have represented pure a failure huge huge <laughs> yeah. failure i agree and if, if very realistically if i had lost my job like i would have gone to work at mcdonald's before i would have moved back home that was never unless you couldn't pay your rent you know but or would i would you have just worked downsize? at mcdonald's i would have worked at burger king i would maybe i would have borrowed money from my mom as a right. stopgap to get me through till i could afford to your, build up enough money or yeah. take a roommate or live with a friend or something like that but like the idea of going back home I never did it since I moved out of my house when I was 18 years old. I have never spent more than a few days at home. Yeah. Even summertime, I was in school and working during the year in school and working Christmas break. I drive down, see my, my family for a few days, go back up, go back to work, be in school, 
Like yeah. I, it, it, I never, never, never went back home ever for any reason. Now I don't, I don't think it's bad to do that. And I hope people are, especially aren't, when you're younger too, when you're still kind of figuring things out. Right. And, I don't, I hope people aren't listening to me and thinking, well, what am I an, uh, an idiot for doing that? No, not at all. And I don't mean to say that I'm saying for me, that was never an option for right. me. I never considered that to be an option. So when I hear that 40%, you're like are are back home with with their families. Would you have done it if you were if you knew how much money you could save now? That's a great question. Would you have given up that freedom, quote unquote, to No, because I, I was know, I don't I think you value your freedom more I value than, it too much. I like yeah. to do what I feel like I'm going to do. <laughs> you know? I do what I feel like. Yeah. So, and probably not. Not everyone's uh, lucky that they can do that or that fortunate or that driven. Uh, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with it either. If your parents are cool with it and you want to do it, there's nothing wrong with that. And we're in a very different climate these days than we are. But I'll tell you what else. And I'll close on this point. It has never been easier to find ways to make money than it is right now yep. from eBay and Etsy to this grant yeah. guy who's out there walking in Walmart and Paninis selling and it. Paper I, you know, like I'll tell you what, it has never been easier to go out and figure out a way to make a living that is a, not by going to a corporate stooge right. job and just well I got here I worked here and oh, faxing Barbara something right. <laughs> Well, anyway, that's all we got for you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can go and see the links to these articles if you want to read them and share them with your friends instead of working by going to <laughs> 5by5.tv slash quit slash 117. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Hattie is at Hattie Bird, H-A-D-D-I-E Bird. And uh, we sure do appreciate you listening. Visit our sponsors, even if uh, you don't necessarily think that they're uh, 100% uh, up your alley guess what you may be surprised you may find out that they are and just visiting them uh, supports our show uh, we work so hard to bring you every week or whenever we get to do it you can also support us directly by going to patreon.com slash Dan Benjamin I think yeah, uh, if you want to give a direct donation to me there you can do that and, uh, and we sure do appreciate everything that you're doing and we're by listening to the show and we're going to figure out the source of this cake smell well, it's not a cake smell. It's mu- it, it's a I think mu- it's unhealthy like old coffee, like with bad <sighs> creamer. That's why I think. I think mm. someone made a coffee. Could be that. Diesel.